0: Resorts, homes and a newly built hospital have been washed away. No electricity, nothing whatsoever.
1: We need to be
2: prepared for the future.
3: I'm just holding on for dear life here. This isn't fun.
2: Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared.
3: Plan this time
2: before disaster strike. Every natural disaster gets worse. What happens when something goes wrong and how do they respond to it?
0: And make sure everyone's safety comes first what for dream you must ready.
2: Clearing roads, restoring critical infrastructure.
0: Eventually, I know it's going to hit. It's only a matter of time.
2: Helping your community. Helping your family. Helping you. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared.
4: Hi, I'm Fred Hooper, and this is Pacific Prepared. It's a show about natural disasters, climate change and traditional knowledge and how those things are all connected. And you'll hear that through stories from right across the Pacific. Each week we work with local reporters, they're on the ground, letting us know what's happening in this space and what people wanna hear about. On today's show, teaching the basics of gathering information about risks around natural disasters and climate change, why it's important and how people are learning this. Also, school students are taking on pollution in one of Fiji's longest rivers. And we'll look back at a story from earlier in 2023 and hear how natural disasters and climate change influence traditional dance in Samoa. That's all coming up. This is Pacific Prepared.
3: I'm just holding on for dear life here. For women, it's always safety
0: first. They are the first responder. You're listening to Pacific Prepared.
4: Imagine you're at home and you can hear the wind starting to pick up. Things are starting to move around outside. Things that probably shouldn't really move. You can hear the waves at the beach crashing down. There's something happening. And then you hear something on the radio. Some information or a warning. Someone giving you some more information about what's happening. That warning and information that you're getting has come from somewhere. And that process starts all the way back with a person like Sean.
5: It is uh, largely focused on maximising uh, 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 the integration and streamlining of risk information into effective decision making.
4: Dr. Sean Williams works in disaster risk reduction, and he's recently been working in the Pacific. Pacific prepared and two AP journalist, Maui Lutamose. Has this story?
0: for sure. the three days training for this week is about disaster risk assessment. Can you tell me what it's all about?
5: Uh, so it's a good question. Uh, the training is really, it's part of a project which is being implemented, uh, which is being funded by the New Zealand Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade. Uh, and it's been co-implemented by our colleagues at uh, SPC, or the Pacific Community, Geoscience, Energy, and Maritime Division, along with NIWA, the National Institute of Water and Atmospheric Research in New Zealand. And part of a big component of that project is really to build capacity within six countries in the Pacific. Uh, Samoa is one of them. Tonga, uh, Tuvalu, Tokelau, Vanuatu. Uh, Marshall Islands and Tuvalu. Uh, and it's all about building capacity in running and using risk information, running risk models and then using the output risk information as evidence base to support uh, decision making with regards to disaster risk reduction and climate change.
0: Mm. we have experienced nowadays the most that most of the days are getting hotter. people feel the heat and the bigger countries as well are feeling the worst of the heat due to the increase in temperature so is that one of the issues that this training is looking at so that we can um, we know and understand and learn how to react to it.
5: That's actually a really good question. So that's perhaps part of the broader picture, which this pro program is uh, trying to address. But it does focus more on the hazards which come out of uh, climate changes, such as sea level rise, uh, tropical cyclones, and heavy emphasis is placed on the impacts of these hazards on our uh, our communities, on our societies, on assets—assets assets that we feel are important—and by assets we mean things like our buildings that we live in, our commercial buildings, our roads, our infrastructure, our crops. The list goes on. Our population, uh, and it's really about quantifying how how these climatic hazards interact and affect uh, communities. Uh, And the reason for that is because there are significant information gaps in in, in our region, in the Pacific region, uh, in terms of how these hazards will affect uh, our societies in a warming climate and how that might look in the next uh, 10, 20, 50, 100 years uh, and what we might need to do now What are some of the interventions uh, we can do now in order to help mitigate and uh, reduce the impacts of these hazards?
0: Um, After this uh, phase of this uh, project, after this training, um, Shell, this project is looking at um, training more people in order to build capacity to understand about the impact the risk of the impact of disasters.
5: Yes, indeed. So this training is a uh, uh, the first of a series of capacity building uh, exercises uh, that is targeted at whole of sector. So whole of government, NGO, non-government organizations, uh, uh, civil service organizations. Uh, and it's not limited to any particular group. It is uh, largely focused on maximizing uh, uh, the integration and streamlining of risk information into effective decision making.
0: What do you expect the participants way. from the government ministries and corporations, organizations to learn from this training?
5: Well, we would hope, one of our largest hopes, is that following the trainings, uh, people will be far more familiar and will have the capabilities and the necessary tools. Uh, and by tools, we refer to software tools uh, that can enable our uh, uh, Participants that are participating, but for their sectors, enable them to quantify risks uh, and feel confident in the information and the evidence base, the risk evidence base that they are communicating to decision makers.
4: Thanks to Pacific Prepared and 2AP journalist Maui Lutamose for that story. My name is Fred Hooper, and you're listening to Pacific Prepared.
2: People's lives have been affected by disaster. Know what to do. Know what to do. Know what to do. Clearing roads, restoring critical infrastructure. All signs are coming, so we have to prepare.
0: Be prepared.
2: Pacific prepared. This week in Fiji, we will travel to the interior part of Singatoka, one of the major towns in Fiji located in the southwestern part of mainland of Levu. Dubbed as the Salad Bowl of Fiji, as about 70% of the island nation's produce comes from this valley's fertile lands, which is also home to the island nation's first national park and the Singatoka River, Fiji's longest river spanning to approximately 120 kilometers. A primary school located about 7 kilometers away from the town area, known as the Noah District School has been spearheading cleanup campaigns and advocating the need to reuse and recycle items rather than carelessly dumping them in their surroundings or even worse, in the river. Litter, or the unnecessary disposal of rubbish and waste materials, is a pandemic in communities located near the school and much of the responsibility for protecting and preserving the community's natural surroundings falls amongst the younger generation. Over the past few days, the students of the Nua District School organized another round of the Clean Up and Reuse or Recycling Project and collaborating with a few Environment Protection volunteers to reuse and recycle and decorate trash bins, empty bottles with environmental logos, lessons and quick facts the beans paint and paint supplies were sourced from within the community let's hear comments made by the school head mr asibu rosito who talked about this critical initiative to halt pollution in the area and the school's contribution towards sustaining resources in the river and mitigating the impacts of climate change yes. The adoption and uh,
1: preventative measures to minimize the effect of uh, climate change uh, initiative. Uh, the main idea behind uh, the initiative is to educate the children or students on how to prevent uh, excessive and unnecessary waste that contribute to the environmental uh, pollution. Secondly, uh, it is a drive or campaign which facilitate the need for children to honor their environment by reducing the amount of waste thrown to the rivers and also help them to be aware their connections to their local environment. Thirdly, uh, the children in this community are relying on their resources from their land and rivers for survival. For example, the freshwater mussel, and uh, the fish from the river beside their villages are providing them food, and most of the families are earning their living through the selling of fresh mussels and selling of root crops to the nearby market. Therefore, uh, these uh, initiatives are also helping our children to look after their local environment and provide effective ways to minimize the effect of greenhouse effect into their lives. Another objective of this initiative is to educate the children that greenhouse effect is real and we need to prepare and have this solution to minimize the effects of uh, climate change. Therefore, it is uh, one of the think globally and act locally exercise for our children to be able to contribute ...to the fight of the effect of climate change globally and also locally. The children are now very eager to be involved in this this activity. The first thing for children love to do through this initiative is the creativity. To create any waste material to be useful, that is reusing activities... Uh, which involves creating their small bin and the preparation of compost to be used in their garden, which is uh, another activity that children are interested about. The plan to maintain the consistency of this program, uh, the school is uh, has been selected uh, from the district to participate in the Clean School Program in which is organized through the Singatoka Town Council. And uh, also the school is part of the Health Promoting School uh, within the district of uh, Nandrong Nabosa. Uh, therefore, uh, these two initiative program uh, will ensure that this program will be consistent uh, and also will be maintained uh, throughout uh, the years and it will facilitate the need to address uh, and also assist the children to look after their own environment for sustainable and the adaptation of climate change
2: within our community. And that was Mr. Asimurusi Tobiri, the head of the NOAA District School. I am
4: Josiah Nanunga, reporting from Fiji. Thanks to Pacific Prepared reporter and freelance journalist, Josiah Nanunga, for that story. What's your
2: plan? Are you ready to leave your home? Plan now before disaster strikes. Pacific Prepared.
4: People have been dancing in the Pacific for over a thousand years. And yes, it looks great. But there's also always meaning behind the moves. Telling a story through the dance. And over the years, those stories have changed. They change to keep up with what's happening around them. And that includes climate change. This is a recording from a recent dance performance in Western Sydney by Matavai Pacific Cultural Arts Centre.
3: Hi, my name is Wemwana Shwenki. Um, I'm Samwane and I work at Matavai Pacific Cultural Arts because the Pacific Ocean is so large and there's thousands of Pacific Islands, um, cultures are, are distinctly different. So in some cultures, like the Tokelauan culture, their dances and their songs have actually been passed down from generations. They're the same dances and the same songs, but it's still about the ocean and the land. Whereas in Samoa, our traditional dance, Siva Samoa, we can still create choreographies today and a lot of those choreographies that we have Um, made at Matawai have been reflective of the changes in the weather, you know, extreme weather patterns, um, king tides, natural disasters, they're all things that affect us and we can reflect this in our dance, you know, we can reflect this through fast movements, through graceful movements, Um, but I definitely do think that the songs especially that uh, Pacific people are making, um, they are telling the story of climate change. Um, because our songs are our history and that's how we record our information. Yeah, so my current work at the moment is at my family's um, Heart and Soul, which is our Pacific Cultural Centre based in Liverpool, Sydney, and it's called Matawai Pacific Cultural Arts. In many languages, Matawai means eye of the water or source of the water, and the meaning for that name was we wanted the place to be a source of culture for young people, specifically Pacific Island people, um, for them to be able to learn about their culture, through dance, through music, through storytelling.
4: What was the kind of instigation for Matavai for you to start that? What sort of gave you that sort of, I guess, motivation to think this is something that we need to do?
3: Mm -hmm. So I was um, born in Samoa. My parents were dancers um, their whole lives when they had me. Uh, So they were representing Samoa uh, in the tourism group around the world. We then migrated to New Zealand for more opportunities and New Zealand, it still feels like home because the Pacific population is large and Tangata whenua is the Māori people, they're the owners of the land and our cultural values are very intertwined so it feels like home still. Um, but then we moved to Australia, to Wollongong, It's a coastal region, coastal city, and there's not a lot of Pacific people. I was the only Pacific Islander in my primary school and then one of two in my high school. So I was feeling like the minority every day. And, you know, even my physical features were very different to those of my peers at school. I'm brown. Um, And that would bring a lot of questions as I was a child and I was... I was in primary school. Another thing was I distinctly remember being um, age 12 and turning on the news quite regularly and seeing a chain of stories. A chain of stories framing Pacific people as all of these negative stereotypes and I'm sure the wide Australian population would know that there's a lot of stereotypes around Pacific people being violent or involved in crime, um, assaulters, thieves There's always these negative narratives about Pacific people, especially in the media, um, and these slowly filter out in society and the way that Pacific people are treated, um, even today. So we've done a lot of work to counteract these negative narratives, and mainly through dance, um, telling our stories our own way.
4: Do you think that in some way helps your communities to be more resilient against natural disasters if they have a a really good understanding and it's kind of incorporated into their culture then do they have a better understanding of how to become more resilient after natural disasters?
3: Yeah so for example um, when we teach the dance and the songs we ensure that we talk about the history and what's currently happening so if we're doing a dance about the ocean we ensure that We've done our research on what's happening to the ocean and teach our kids as well because dance can often become recreational and just movements, but we ensure that these movements have meaning. And it's education for our young people, not only in the diaspora, but they can teach their families as well. A lot of people in the islands are still a little bit ignorant to climate change because you know, they're, they're facing their own hardships in the islands, um, being poorer countries and trying to survive. I think education with our diaspora can really filter out to the islands as well, but the knowledge holders in the islands, they're, they are already aware of these issues um, because they're the ones caretaking and sustaining the land every day.
4: You came to Australia at quite a young age by the sounds of it. Have you been, have you been able to spend much time back in Samoa since you've been back in Australia?
3: Yes, I have been able to spend some time in Samoa. I try and go every year. Um, The COVID lockdown when the borders were closed made that pretty hard, but last year I was able to visit for two months. And actually on that trip I really tried to make it my mission to learn as many stories um, from not only my family in the villages but from other villages, so I would go to, like, The waterfalls or the beaches that have a lot of the legends and the myths resting on those lands. Legends and myths are our actual history and our actual stories. Um, And they teach us a lot of lessons um, about what our ancestors were like. Um, for example, I went to a village in Sava'i where I'm from called Falealupo and in that village is where the greatest warrior of Samoa originated and she was a woman, her name was Nafanua she was a warrior woman and she basically disguised herself as a man and fought in war for the betterment and uh, for the service to her village, her culture, her country um, so leaders like her we can look to for answers yeah, So there's a Samoan word Tautua and Tautua translates to service and that's one of our central cultural values so cultural values we live by is of course love, honour, humility, respect and especially service service to our people, our village and our country and the legend of Nafanua, our female goddess she really has inspired me in my own life I'm actually a fire knife dancer so um, fire knife dancing is performed with a weapon um, called a Nifu Oti, and the Nifu Oti is similar to the weapons that Nafanua used in her battles. Um, so today, I kind of reflect on Nafanua's story, fighting, her fighting her battles with weapons, and today we fight our battles with our dance and our songs and our stories. So that's how that resonates with me.
4: The time to prepare is now, not right before an emergency.
3: No electricity, nothing whatsoever. You
0: are listening to Pacific Prepared.
4: You might know someone who is working overseas, maybe in Australia or New Zealand. Maybe they're away for a few years at a time as a seasonal worker. It's a common story to hear from Pacific Islanders, like Saru from Vanuatu. He's been doing seasonal work in Tasmania, the southernmost state of Australia. Cutting a long story short, Saru met someone in Tasmania who then wanted to help raise money for something that would be very useful in Saru's village in Vanuatu. Thanks to ABC Northern Tasmania for this story.
6: I come from Vanuatu and this is my first time coming to Australia, especially in Tasmania, working as a seasonal worker.
3: Saru Obed is one of many seasonal workers who've come to Tasmania from overseas. Helping out, usually on rural jobs, means they can make money for their families and communities back home. That's certainly the case for Saru, but his story is a little different because after 10 years of trying to get to Australia for work, he finally made it.
6: I was trying my best for 10 years to come to Australia or New Zealand. 10 years? But... um, nothing happened this year is the best um Yeah, it's um one agent picked me up then he sent me to australia here in tasmania
7: very exciting mm. and why did you why did you want to come to tasmania
6: i have a family i have a family i have a wife i have two kids and three grandchildren and I came here to you know, to work just to support them like at home and also my community if I can find something that will help my community.
7: That's beautiful. And I understand that you've recently had some really nice news that you'll be able to take some water filters back to your village in Vanuatu. Can you tell me what that feels like for you?
6: I, I'm so glad. First of all, I'm so glad. I'm so happy. But I've been working for this water project for a long time in my community, but that was not successful because, you know, due to a um, uh, financial issue, um, I had no money, the community have no money to buy for pipes or whatever, and um, no clean water for my community. So when I came here and then I met Shelly in the church, and then she started to introduce the water filter, and I said, oh, my God. That's what I'm looking for. Yes.
7: I I think it's something that a lot of Australians probably take for granted um having clean water just available at every tap. What what is the situation like with drinking water in Vanuatu?
6: Oh, like in my community it's very poor. Like drinking water, we have underground well and we have water tanks but sometimes they are not clean enough. And um, when it comes to disaster, some of the community members or families who have water tank or underground well, sometimes when we come to dry season, they have to put the, the bucket back inside and they have to lock the water tank so that makes it difficult for other families to go and collect water. So maybe this time it would be different, everyone would be happy. Yes, Everyone.
7: and have you seen the impacts of not having access to clean water in Vanuatu? Other than what you were just saying, is there other impacts on health as well?
6: Yes, sometimes, especially our kids got diarrhea because of um, lack of clean water. So we have to take them to the hospital. It would cost us maybe twenty to thirty dollars to take them to the hospital. But I'm so glad, I'm so glad that I have a water filter. I'm going to receive a water filter back home and make sure that every children in my community and especially for the other villages, I will also help them take this water. So, yeah, to help us.
7: I'm really happy to hear that as well. Have you told your family that this is happening yet?
6: um i already um spoke with my chief you know he's he's the first person i must convince him i tell him that i i am coming with a water filter for the community not for me but for the community as a whole and especially for the other villages so we can have uh, clean water safe water to drink
4: Mm -hmm. yes thanks to kim napier and madeline Rojan from abc northern tasmania for that story Disaster
2: is part of our life, and recovering is also part of our
3: life. As you see, they're smiling despite the devastation. That's how we are.
2: You are listening to Pacific Prepared.
4: Pacific Prepared is supported with funding from the Australian Government's Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. Any views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the Australian Government. It's produced and distributed in partnership with Radio Australia and networks across the Pacific, including. Radio New Zealand Pacific, National Broadcasting Corporation of Papua New Guinea, Palau Wave Radio, Fiji Broadcasting Corporation, Samoa National Radio Two AP, Solomon Islands Broadcasting Corporation, and Tonga Broadcasting Commission. If you're working in something that's related directly to this program. Let us know because we'd love to share your story. Maybe you've got a story idea, a personal experience to share, a topic to cover or someone that you think we should meet. The easiest way to get in touch is to search for Pacific Prepared and then scroll down to the Connect With Us section. Part of the aim of this program is to start conversations about disasters. What would you do and how are you prepare? We're trying to help you make the next disaster easier for you and your family. My name's Fred Hooper. Please share any information that you've learned today and stay safe. This has been Pacific Prepared.